Hi, I'm Dr. Daniel Bynes. I'm Amanda. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Dr. Katie Elson. And together, we are The, the Brain, Brain People. A group of real, practicing mental health professionals. This podcast is a one-stop shop for all your mental health needs. We'll give you the tools to beat depression and anxiety one episode at a time. Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Brain People Podcast. I'm Dr. Daniel Binus, and I'm your host, and I have a frog in my throat. <laughs> you can see how passionate I am about this podcast because I'm still podcasting despite my vocal problems right now. I'm joined today by my co-host, Amanda Anguish, and she is a licensed marriage and family therapist. And today's topic is going to be about change. And I think that's something that we all uh, grapple with, struggle with from time to time. And it's an important to understand that there's stages of change and how we can go through those. And really, Amanda is an expert on helping people through this process. She works with our patients in the intensive outpatient program, and she um, helps them understand where they're at in the process of change so that they can take those next steps. So welcome, Amanda. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about this topic and uh, what you think would be important for us to know about it? Yeah. One of the things that a therapist always has to consider is resistance. And there is no resistance without the potential for change. Why would I resist if I had no problem with change, but um, that's, you know, a lot of people think they're ready for change, but they realize, oh man, what I'm doing or what I'm feeling is attached to so many other aspects of my life. And I'm not sure if I want to change those, which means I have to consider those things before I decide, do I really want to change them? So that's why I spend time uh, talking about change. Change is not easy. And I've heard it say it said that people are going to generally stay the same unless it becomes more painful to stay the same than going through the pain of changing. And so when I hear that, I'm like, yeah, that's true. There's a pain that you have to kind of go through in order to change. Yeah, I heard a little uh, parable once. It was, I don't know the original names, but I'll just say Bill and Bob. So Bill and Bob were sitting on Bob's porch, you know, nice little covered porch and everything. And um, they're rocking back and forth in the rocking chairs. Think of like, you know, farmer types or something. And um, Bob has his hound dog, you know, laying at their feet. And Bill notices as they're rocking back and forth. Hey, how come your hound dog is sort of moaning? And and Bob says, well, you know, there's a nail underneath him. And Bill goes, oh, so they're rocking back and forth. And the hound dog howls again and sort of moans. And Bill says, well, if there's a nail under him, why doesn't he just get up then? And Bob kind of slowly answers with, it doesn't hurt bad enough yet. <laughs> That's so true, right? Sometimes we realize something's causing us pain, but maybe not quite painful enough to actually make that change. And the sad thing is we get desensitized to the pain too. So we wind up putting putting ourselves through more pain than we need to initially. That's a really good point. A lot of times when we're struggling with, with something, we realize it's not the best. Over time, just kind of like get used to it and like 
look back at and you're like, whoa, why, why am I even doing this? Cause I keep inflicting pain, but it's almost like you can't stop. So how do we, how do we actually, when we recognize like, Hey, this really is starting to cause me some pain and more pain than I want to continue to bear. What do we do at that point? Well, the interesting thing is, is we are actually changing as we desensitize to the pain or the struggle. So one of the best things I think to do is to recognize where we used to be before we started going that direction. And and when you start to see maybe some of the things you've lost over time, some of the things that have changed for the negative, that's when that starts to motivate you. Okay, maybe I've gone too far at this point and I don't want to keep going any further. You know, that's a really good point. So in a way you're saying that, you know, change is always happening mm-hmm. and we don't even always recognize it though. We just slowly kind of can slip into a negative place. And I think about, okay, the law of entropy that change tends to happen towards more chaos, right? Yeah. And in other words, toward maybe a more negative state. And we have to be maybe more intentional if we want to actually make positive Mm -hmm. change. Yeah. And that's why we hear sometimes, I'm sure you hear the same thing when somebody comes in to your office and they're like, I don't know what's going on, but I remember what it used to be like. And this can't keep going on the same way as it was. And that's because they recognize I'm changing to something bad and I want to change back to what was good or even better. Or sometimes it's not even the person realizing how far they've changed in a negative way, but maybe it's someone else that points it out, you know, because sometimes people aren't even aware of how much pain they really are in or how far they've fallen in a negative direction. But let's say for whatever reason, somebody gets in that mode where they're like, okay, yeah, I got, I got, I got to change. Something needs to change here. Where do you start? How, how do you go about this process? Okay. Well, one of the things that I do is just help people be aware of maybe what part of the process they're in. Cause not everybody starts at the very beginning. Some of us, you know, maybe whether we go into treatment or we, uh, are doing just something on our own, we don't even know what's going on yet. So some people don't know what's happening and where they are. And it helps somebody just to, it helps them just to have somebody say, Hey, this is where you are in the process. Do have you noticed? Or they already recognize where they are. And then that's where they want to start with change. So I like to just show people what it is. And so I'm going to use my little um, stylus here. And these are just the four stages of change. If you're listening on our podcast right now, you can find this on YouTube as well. Okay, so these are the four stages of change. And the first stage is what we call unconsciously incompetent. There we go. Unconsciously incompetent. So when we think of unconscious, we're not talking about being knocked out or anything like that. It's another word you could use as subconscious. You're not aware of it yet. Sometimes I've shown my clients a picture of an iceberg. I usually ask them what it looks like, and some people think it's an island. But this is my drawing of an iceberg, and I'll I'll show them that the top part of the iceberg is what we call our, our conscious awareness. And the bottom part is what we call the unconscious. 
Dr. Binus and I both taught the same class, so we probably recognize this <laughs> from the textbook. <laughs> so the unconscious part or the subconscious, you could call it, this is the part of our brains where we're holding on to information, but we don't necessarily remember it. So if I asked any of our listeners, you know, what is your name? Well, suddenly something that was unconscious to you stored back in your mind is now suddenly conscious. And so that's what this represents. But sometimes we have things that we're dealing with, but we don't realize why we're dealing with them. And that's why we say it's unconsciously incompetent. I don't realize how incompetent I am, or I don't realize the level of incompetence that I have in this area of my life. And that's not a bad thing necessarily. Sometimes when we hear the word incompetence, we think like, oh, that makes me inferior. It just means I'm not aware there's plenty of things that I'm incompetent of. I don't do my own dental work because that's what a competent dentist is for. And I pay them to do that because I, my mind is on other things. Um, so unconsciously incompetent, this is, this is the first stage of change. And some people are there because and some people are in therapy because somebody else has told them, Hey, you just need help. And that so, person might be in. So in a way it's really like not even realizing that I have a problem. Yeah. Like, or knowing there's a problem, but not knowing why, okay. like there's something that does just doesn't seem right, but I don't know what it is and I don't know what's happening, you know, okay. necessarily and stuff. So the second, the second step is, um, consciously incompetent. And this is this is usually the other type of person that'll come to therapy like they know something is not right and they realize and they might say something like, you know, I just know my communication skills are really poor because people tell me all the time, but I don't know how to communicate better. Can you teach me? And so that's why we call it. That's why we say consciously incompetent, because they're aware of something being wrong or they're aware of what's wrong. They don't know how to fix it yet because they're incompetent at it. Now, those are the first those are the first two stages. Some people are to the second stage by the time they come to treatment or by the time they start doing something. But some people, like I said, come at the very beginning. They don't know what's going on. They usually come with their spouse or, you know, a parent or a child because that person's saying, hey, you just need help. And they're like, why? I think I'm fine. You know, so then the third stage, and this is actually where stuff starts to happen. The third stage is consciously competent. So could you give me an example then of some like a habit maybe that someone's trying to change that where, where they're going from consciously incompetent to consciously competent and what that might look like? Yeah. So for instance, if somebody, if somebody comes in, say, um, well, I don't want to, I don't want to generalize or anything, but say a wife brings her husband into therapy <laughs> and she's like, you need to talk to my husband because he doesn't know how to talk to me. We have all of these problems. And he's like, I don't think there's anything wrong. We talked like this all the time in my family. That person might be unconsciously incompetent. Cause he says, I don't see an issue. Yeah. Right? I don't see an issue. 
But then maybe she starts to express some of the ways that it's offending her or hurting her or something. And maybe the therapist gives some insight as to, hey, maybe there are other ways that would be more helpful or have you considered how this might hurt her or something like that? Obviously, it can go both ways, men and women. <laughs> and, then the, and then the husband's like, oh, I, I can see how that is a problem. Yeah. And so oh, like, wow. No wonder when my mom used to say those things growing up, that hurt me too. But I didn't really acknowledge it because I didn't know there was another way. Hmm. So then when we get to stage three, now we're consciously competent. And what that means is this is the work part. So. I'll just go back a second. Unconsciously incompetent. This is where the struggle happens. So the first stage is just the struggle. That's what we're aware of. The second stage is now where the guilt can set in. Mm. This is where the guilt can set so in. Now, now that I've been convicted that I'm doing something wrong, but I don't know how to change it. And yeah. I'm feeling guilty because I don't know how to treat my wife correctly. But I know she's being hurt. Yeah. And I like to I like to remind people because I'm a big thinker person. I like to teach people about their thoughts and how what we initially think is not necessarily where we want to land with our thinking. And so I like to tell people, don't feel bad when you feel guilty because it's actually guilt is a wonderful thing because it means you can do something about it. If you don't have any guilt or if you don't recognize your guilt in something, then it means there's nothing for you to do. But when you do recognize your guilt, that's like, oh, if I'm guilty, it means I can actually do something about this. So guilt can actually be a really good thing. Mm -hmm. And maybe we'll do a podcast on how to think about <laughs> guilt one day. But then the consciously competent part, this is where the work happens. Oh, let mm. me go back real quick. When you when you get to the consciously incompetent stage, you cannot go back to the previous stage. Mm. Even though a lot of people want to, right? They're and like, we might. I don't want to. And I have seen people do this. They'll, they'll, some, some people even start drinking or something because they're like, I want to forget about it. Absolutely. <laughs> because they're trying to bury that guilt now that they have, right? And that's the wrong way to look at the second stage is to say, oh, well, I don't want to feel this anymore. I'm going to try go, to go back to the right. first stage. But you can't unlearn that. We yeah. don't do lobotomies so you don't feel <laughs> guilt, you know, sort of thing. And so we can't ever go back. But that's a good thing because it means we can go forward. And so when we feel that guilt, now it means this is where the work can be done. This is not anybody's favorite part of the <laughs> stages of change, though. We don't like having to do the work because the work takes effort. It does. But... But, 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 but you want to hear something sad? If you don't do the work, you're automatically going to go back to the guilt stage. And then you're stuck. And, and, and that can and probably lead to, sh to shame, I imagine. And it leads to shame, which leads to depression, which leads to anxiety and all those sorts of things. And you can try to go to back to stage one, but you can't really do that. And that's where we we either do the work or we regress. Hmm. And we don't want to regress because how many stages are there? Four. Four. <laughs> so the beautiful thing is stage four. If you do, you want to guess what that is? You probably know this. I think I do. <laughs> this is unconsciously competent. Yes, unconsciously. And excuse my writing. 
I'm consciously competent. This is one, this is the best stage because this is where we get our reward. Mm. The reward for all the hard work you do. There's no pill that takes the place of doing the work, but there's no reward that takes the place of that dopamine hit that you get from doing the work. And in the case where we talked about the husband and the wife, that might be really hard to take a step back and go, oh, man, I don't want to say that to her because I know how much it hurts her because I know how much it used to hurt me when I heard that. And so I'm going to make the effort to say it in the best way, even though it doesn't feel natural to me to talk like that. But eventually it can feel natural to do that. I remember I used to go to the gym um, regularly to a certain fitness place and I got there and I had a trainer who was teaching me all these things that were so awkward. And I was sure that everybody was looking at me knowing she has no idea what she's doing here. <laughs> she's trying this stuff and it looks so awkward. It felt awkward to me. I don't think really now looking back that people were thinking that too much. But after I stuck with it for a while, the best part was, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but I started thinking, oh, I know what I'm doing now. You know, I, I've got this down. And I even went to the point of thinking, oh, that poor person over there, they must be just learning too, as though I wasn't them at one point. But the reward is not just the reward. The reward is now it becomes a habit. And in the case of Amanda, some fabulous biceps, right? <laughs> Don't look. <laughs> they're not fabulous, <laughs> but they're sufficient for sure. <laughs> so unconsciously competent, this is where we go to the place where I don't have to think so much about it anymore. Maybe I don't have to think about it at all because I'm competent to do it. And this is where we get that term muscle memory. My body knows what to do. My body knows how to respond to things, even though I'm not having to think about it so much, because that's the reward for doing all the work. And I think all of us who drive understand that because at some point we had no clue what driving entailed. And then, you know, we got behind the wheel and suddenly, oh, my, this is like a lot more stuff than I realized. I'm telling my mom how to drive or my dad how to drive from the passenger side, but now I'm sitting there and I have the pressure. That's the second stage. The third stage is doing all the work. Like, okay, I, pull, I go into reverse. I look around me. I make sure everything's clear. Oh, I'm on the freeway. This is even harder than I thought. That's the work. But those of us who've been driving for a while, now we have the reward because some of us can even say, oh, I just got home and I don't remember any of that 23-minute drive that it just took me to get here. How did that happen? And that's the reward for going through all these stages of change. And I think the beautiful thing is that uh, you use a really nice analogy with driving, but we can apply the same principles, whether it's communication or pretty much any habit that you're trying to change, uh, relationship issues, whatever it, it might be. Now, what would you say as far as, cause yeah, it takes a lot of work, but what about, is it important to get help when people are, are trying to change or should we just try to change on our own or does it depend? 
Mm-hmm. Well, the the most important thing is to be first willing to do the work. And sometimes we start working and we realize, oh, this isn't as hard as I thought. Maybe I can continue to do the work on my own. But sometimes and a lot of times, especially when treatment is involved, it's we need help. You know, if I grew up like the gentleman I was talking about, he's not real, of course, but if I grew up like him, my parents might not have taught me how to communicate well. Therefore, that's when I need somebody who has a little bit more expertise, at least. And maybe the wife isn't necessarily the best person to tell because she might not realize there are areas in her life where she wants to change too. maybe the way she reacts to him when he speaks that way, or maybe the way she thinks about what he's saying to her, not realizing some of that comes from his past experiences. But if I realize like, I'm not an expert in this area. It's okay to ask for people because everybody's an expert at something. And we just recognize that other people might know how to do it better than us. So having a humble attitude when it comes to changing is can be really helpful and just being open to actually help from the outside instead of just trying to power through it and white knuckle it. And in my experience personally and with patients, it actually becomes a lot more fun, even though, you know, it's still work in my mind, you know, again and again, I've seen where when you're working together and you're doing this together, it, the, the load becomes a lot lighter and there can really be fun parts of it. Yeah. And even when say that couple does come in and now he's excited because, wow, look at the reaction I'm getting from my wife or the response I'm getting from her and my whole family That's what we want to focus on when we're doing that third stage or the work part of it, when we're consciously competent doing that work. And I think I think how we look at change is just as important as the different stages of change and not to beat ourselves up. We don't beat up little kids for not being able to walk the first time they try to take a step. And so just recognizing, hey, this is going to take me a little bit of work too to get there, but I definitely can get there. Absolutely. And I, and I, and I, I love how you're really encouraging all of our listeners to be patient with, with yourself through this process. And it really is a process and there's going to be times where you mess up and you're like, Oh man, I'm just never going to get this. But the point is you will get it. If you just keep plodding along, just get back up like that baby that's learning to walk and don't beat yourself up about it. Just keep going and and you'll get it. And pretty soon you'll get to that point where you get that reward. And that's where it really is fun. So thank you so much, Amanda, for joining me today. And I think this is a really important topic for our listeners, the stages of change, just to review the unconsciously incompetent, the consciously incompetent, the consciously competent, and the unconsciously competent. Did I pass? Good job. Yes. All right. Colors. A plus. (laughs) So, and for our listeners, remember there is hope you can change. Don't be afraid to get that help. And you'll, you'll, you'll get through even if it is a long process and there is the reward at the end. Yeah. The reward is yours. If you do the work. That's right. So if you only take one thing away from today's show, Remember this, if mental illness is a whole person problem, then it must have a whole person solution. I'm Dr. Daniel Binus. And I'm Amanda Anguish, Ribbit. 
And you've been listening to the Brain, Brain People, People Podcast. Podcast. To hear more episodes, find us on social media, or support us financially, visit thebrainpeoplepodcast.com. 